After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome, everybody, to a Baseball America podcast along with Aaron Fitt. I'm John Manuel. This Baseball America College podcast is sponsored by ATEC, the baseball training machine company. At ATEC, we're committed to delivering tools to coaches to help train and develop players. Visit ATechSports.com to learn about training machines that can help make your practice more effective and efficient. See training tips and practice drills from Vanderbilt head coach Tim Corbin and more on ATechSports.com. ATEC win every practice. Aaron, the Oregon Ducks are the story of the weekend for us, I think, in college baseball. There's lots of college baseball to catch up on. We're going to sprinkle in some 2012 draft talk as well. But in our top 25, it was a fairly static top 25 rankings uh, we did bring in a couple of different teams at the back mississippi state tcu oregon state we'll, we'll talk about them but the the one, one kind of there was some shuffling in the top 10 but the team that we've probably spent the most time discussing was the oregon oregon ducks aaron and i think we thought that oregon had the best week of any team we only moved them up one spot we didn't really have just the way that the kind of the mechanics of the rest of the rankings win we didn't really have a, a great way to move the ducks up but it wasn't for lack of trying and i think when we look at overall resumes it's hard to deny that oregon ducks resume is really about as good as anybody not named florida state or baylor yeah i think you're right i mean the fact that they you know they do have two series losses which is the only fly in the ointment here uh they lost the series to washington and washington state but boy i mean does any team have four series as good as uh, is going on the road, taking two out of three at Arizona, Stanford, and UCLA, plus sweeping Arizona State at home. I mean, that's just really loud. I mean, they're in first place in, in a, I think, a very strong Pac-12. I mean, uh, I don't know that you've got one complete, you know, flaw-free juggernaut in the Pac-12, but you've got five or so, uh, maybe even six really good teams in that conference. Um, and, and, you know, I think it's, it's, it's loud that they went down to Arizona and won that series. I, I frankly didn't expect it, but this team, this Oregon team, has been uh, exceeding my expectations all year long. I mean, you look at this team on paper, and it just doesn't excite you that much, and it's kind of like Fullerton. You know, you look at them, and you think, okay, you know, they're winning. It's really impressive what they've done, both those teams. Their resumes are extremely impressive, but you look at them, and you think, well, you know, there's no big arms on this staff. I mean, Alex right. Cadell's had an amazing year, but he's a senior who's, you know, kind of mid to high 80s guy. I mean, he's just a pitchability guy, pitchability right-hander, and, um, and that's what most of their guys are, you know, and yet their pitching staff has dominated. It's had an incredible good, incredibly good year, even after the injuries that they suffered. I mean, George Horton has done an amazing job handling that pitching staff. He's really, now that, 
you know, since Andrew Chekets left for UC Santa Barbara, um, George took over the, the handling of that staff by, on his own, and he's done a fantastic job. He's got a lot out of those guys, and the offense is improved. I mean, they're hitting whatever they're hitting, 260. I don't know. I mean, it's not. It doesn't. It doesn't blow you away. But doggone it, they win. And there's so much to be said for that. I mean, I, I still think this is a team that, um, you know, the the resume impresses you more than the team itself. I mean, ultimately, if I'm stacking up Oregon and Florida, I like Oregon's body of work just as much, maybe more than Florida's. But I, I do think Florida has a much higher ceiling. I think mean, that's a fair assessment. And the amazing thing to me, uh, you know. I go by a lot of the reporting that you do, and then you know I look at a lot of the numbers, and I you know kind of have my own feel for some of these things. But the thing that just jumps out to me about Oregon, besides their resume, I think like you put it, those four series wins are really loud. Um, but the opponent's slugging percentage of 299, and there's really nothing that they're doing that's on paper that's exceptional. They they are fielding very well. 978 fielding percentage is really really good. Um, you know, they're aggressive on the base pass. They're not necessarily – you know, you hear that. I talked to a couple coaches on the West Coast this week, and you, you hear that Oregon's really aggressive on the base pass, and they really force the issue, and that they push it, and they you know, they do a lot of those things uh, that George Horton coach teams do. Um, you know, they, Aaron Payne takes a dose as much as anybody. But they just it seems like the separating factor is that they just don't – they're a little bit more prone to have big innings offensively than their opponents are. And the big reason for that is even though they don't have great power, they get the big extra base hit more often than their opponents. And their opponents slugging 299, it's just hard to win that way. You, to beat Oregon, to mm-hmm. score a lot of runs off them, you either need Oregon to self-destruct a little bit. And again, 978 fielding percentage, they just aren't giving you a lot of extra outs. And you're just going to string a lot of singles together off that team. If you're, if you're slugging 299, just not a lot of extra base hits. You're going to have to keep on getting singles and single and another single. You're going to have to execute offensively at a pretty high rate to score off these guys. And, uh, you know, they just seem like they've been very – they've been a lot more efficient offensively and defensively than their opponents. And it, it's nothing flashy. Yeah. That really kind of goes back to just uh, good, solid baseball players who are being really well coached. And uh, it's amazing, again, I mean, that we've talked about their program – over the last few years, and, and been impressed. That 14 and 42 start regionals the next year, and they, did they win a regional that that second year, or do they just, uh, or they went to uh, UConn? That's right. They went to UConn, and Florida State won that regional. That's it. Then last year they had a disastrous start. They really finished very strong. I know talking to Coach Horton in Omaha when he was there doing some things for Nike, he he really thought that if there's a season had been one more week that Oregon could have kept going. I believe they swept Oregon State late last year. They didn't sweep them. They won the series. They really finished strong. You know, they, if, if baseball, if college baseball had an NIT, they would have been a strong NIT team. Um, yeah. But they've maintained that momentum really from last year. And and like you said, their, their resume is just so good, Aaron. And it's not just in the conference. I mean, that the, the series win at, at Hawaii to start the year looks good. The series sweep at Vanderbilt doesn't look great, but I mean it was a it is a road sweep at an SEC team, um, and it's looking better now because Vanderbilt is is has you know they've you know they're not a juggernaut like we thought they'd be coming into the year, but they're they've gotten better they're they're almost back to 500. So that that series does look better for Oregon as the season goes on. Right, it's just a really it's a, it's a, just an impressive. There's just very few flaws in the resume for the Oregon Ducks uh, as we discuss it here on the Baseball America College podcast. Uh, Aaron, the rest of the Pac-10, really, I mean, outside of Oregon having beaten those other teams, we've really struggled 
with ranking those other Pac-12 teams. I keep catching myself, but uh, this week again, we kind of shuffled up UCLA, Arizona, Stanford. Uh, the Cardinal is a team that kind of took the tumble this weekend. They lose a series at Oregon State. The Beavs back in the rankings at number 23. You know, Stanford down to number 17, Aaron. It's just very surprising to see Stanford, especially after that really loud start and with all their talent, to be 11-10 and 10 in the league. Uh, I'm not sure they're the most disappointing team in the, in the country. We obviously <laughs> just talked about Vanderbilt. But, boy, Stanford just – kind of the pitching especially just leaves you wanting that's exactly that's exactly what it comes down to and you know um offensively they are dangerous and they are explosive they're capable of exploding they're quite good but they're not great though right i mean it's not coming into the year and and after the first month we thought wow this could be uh, um, this is this should be the best offense in the country, and and it's not it's not it hasn't been over the last five weeks. Um, you know they they seem like they got the offense going the previous two weekends with Arizona State and UCLA, and and then this weekend they kind of fell on their faces again. And, and you know they scored six runs combined those two losses um, against Oregon State, and uh, you know it, the the offense is good, but it's not good enough I think to carry a pitching staff that's just mediocre. I mean Stanford's. I, I still think Stanford is a good team. I think they're an Omaha contender because I, I like their personnel, and I think if they can if they can get hot and they can ride one of those those streaks, then they're really dangerous. But but they're streaky. I mean, you know, that's what it seems like. And and right now they're still trying to figure out roles in the pitching staff. We talked about this with Arkansas a couple of weeks ago, um, where Arkansas was trying to find its its identity on the mound a little bit. I mean, Stanford after Mark Appel, you know, Mooneyham um, had a pretty good first half. Hasn't been as good, uh, and, and he was scratched this weekend with the flu. But, you know, last week against UCLA, his control was really poor. He was all over the place, just a scattershot kind of a, a, kind of a tr- control. And, um, you know, he's, he's not really what you would think of as a, a steady, reliable number two guy. I mean, he's, he's got a much bigger arm than, uh, you know, a, a Jake Reed or, or even an Alex Cadell at Oregon. But I promise you, uh, um, you know, <laughs> Cardinal wish they had Alex Cadell right now. Because you know you know what you're going to get from that guy, and Mooneyham isn't the same guy. And you know after that they've had Venegas in all variety of different roles. Um, you know this weekend they had Sahil Bloom making I think his first start, um, yep. certainly in a long time. If he hadn't really started before at all, but um, you know so I mean it's we're in week 12 and they're still trying to find their way on the mound, and uh, um, that's not a great sign. Yeah, it's not. I mean you're looking at Mooneyham. The guy's got 44 walks slash hit by pitches. You know, 44 times the opposing team has gotten on base without having to hit the ball because he doesn't throw the ball where he wants it to go. And so he'll bloom. And it's just amazing to me. I, I know I commented on this earlier in a podcast, but you have the two guys on the team who've thrown the most innings, Appel and Mooneyham, who both are averaging a strikeout per inning. It's not better in Mooneyham's case. And yet the rest of this team is just such a low – there's just no power arms on the rest of the team outside of Vanegas. Um, at least no power arms who get any strikeouts. Even Vegas, they don't strike anybody out. And they're not a great defensive team, Aaron. Now they've moved Piscotti to left field. Uh, obviously, without Coppola, they're not as good defensively in the middle infield. I know that Dorn has been a nice player for them at second base, although he's slumped uh, since that nice hot start. It is not as good in the middle infield. Their outfield defense is just okay. It really seems like Stanford was going great early. They had Major Hoekstadter uh, going well for him on, on the weekend, John <laughs> Hoekstadter. 
But then you had the Jake Stewart injury that really kind of seemed like it threw their offense a little off because Jake Stewart was also a good start. He hasn't been the same since. And uh, the Coppola injury, everybody's got injuries, and Stanford has depth. I mean, they just rolled Alex Blandino right in there, and he's a nice, a nice player. But they just they haven't been the same. Excuse me. I'm going to edit that out. They haven't been the same offensively since Jake Stewart's injury, and they're pitching, like you said, they just haven't found their identity. And I think, and the problem is I think they kind of almost do know what their identity is, and it's just not good enough. You know, their identity is yeah. their identity is two guys who throw hard and can strike you out and a bunch of other guys who are just like, here, here you go. And they're just not good enough defensively. If they had Oregon's defense and their defensive efficiency, this pitching staff would work. But it just doesn't. They don't strike anybody out, and they're just they're they're basically going to have to get lucky in the postseason that yeah. that people hit the ball at you know the opponents hit the ball at people. And and right now I'm just I'm not too impressed. Now they they're scheduled. They have had the toughest part of their schedule. We've got Wazoo at home at Utah, home to Cal. Those are three very winnable season uh, series for the Cardinal. But uh, they just seem like it seems like they're out of the are they out, completely out of the national top eight national seed at this point. Probably so at this point. I mean, you, you know, I guess if they if they really got hot and they and they won the rest of their games, I mean, you know, their RPI will be okay. I mean, it's it's still um, it's still around what ten to fifteen range somewhere, and and uh, right. you know, I mean, they, they do have that strong non-conference schedule that kind of buoys them. Although, as we talked about, I mean, Texas wound up not being a vintage Texas team, and Vanderbilt wasn't as good as we thought they'd be, and. Fresno hasn't had a great year, so I mean, even the first month of the season, uh, it doesn't hold up as well as, as you know as it looked at the time. But I'll tell you, trying to figure out the Pac-12 is very tricky because it's just you've got all these teams bunched together, and you know if you try to look at the head-to-head matchups, you'll drive yourself crazy because you know Stanford last week went down to UCLA and won a series. UCLA won a series at Arizona. Arizona swept Stanford. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's Oregon beat all those teams, but lost to Washington, Washington State. I mean, so it's it's uh, it's it's a, it's a very competitive league, and um, you know, at the end, I don't think there is one team in this league that is a real standout, you know, um, balanced, complete team in every facet. And I think they all have flaws, but they're all dangerous. You know, I can see any one of these teams getting hot and making a deep postseason run. You can throw Oregon State in that mix too, uh, but. Uh, but right now, again, I mean, I just think that it's it's hard to figure it out. It's it's a fascinating league. I'm, I'm very intrigued by this race. Yeah, and it's in a, kind of a wild card kind of line in the weeds there is Arizona State, which still feels like hasn't really gotten going offensively, but all they have to play for is the regular season. they obviously not, not eligible for the postseason. just feels like, you know, they're just two games back. feels like Arizona State just – it would shock me, I guess, if they had a closing run in them. You know, to and yeah. and kind of won the division, uh, won, won the regular season. They still have Washington at home, and then if four games left with Arizona, three of which are conference games. I don't know. Do you think Arizona State could make a run, or there's just too many teams between them and, and winning this thing? No, you're right. They could make a run. I mean, they're only two games right now behind Oregon. Um, you know, the problem is that Oregon, I think, has, has really gotten through the meat of its schedule already as well. I mean, they've got USC left in conference at home. Uh, and then they then they're at Oregon State, you know, which is never an easy series. I'm, I'm sure it'll be a a wild series this year, but uh, uh, but that's it, you know. So I, I don't know that there's enough uh, enough margin there for for Arizona State to make up two games, but it's possible. It could happen. Yeah, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. Uh, 
the other the other uh, Pac-10 team, Arizona, seems like Arizona that was a little bit of a surprising uh, weekend result. And then, of course, the series that you went to, which was Purdue and UCLA. So let's talk about that one a little bit. Pretty exciting series in that we had a couple of close games, then kind of a bullpen meltdown by the Bruins that allowed Purdue to escape being swept. They were three outs away from being swept, competitively swept. But how big is that one win for Purdue? It feels like from, from here, Aaron, that was a pretty big victory because they really saved a decent amount of face by going in there and winning a game. They kind of did what you expect them to do. When you're a Big Ten team, even a good Big Ten team, goes on the road at a Pac-12 team, you kind of expect the Pac-12 team to win that series. And, and, and UCLA did, but I felt like Purdue – made a nice statement by going out there being competitive and stealing a game. Did you feel like Purdue, uh, you know, what kind of, what, what was your takeaway from that series? I think you, I think you nailed it. I think Purdue did what it was supposed to do. It went there and didn't get swept and it almost did, but you know, certainly the game on Sunday had a little bit of a fluky feel to it. You're down five runs in the ninth inning and you, and you score 10 against the UCLA bullpen that has, Ben, as Savage put it on, on Saturday, has been really their strength this year. I mean, those guys have been good, and they just melted down. Um, it was bizarre. I mean, you know, Scott Griggs on Saturday looked great, struck out the side. You know, the, he's locating okay with the fastball and the curveball, and then the next day he comes back and he walks four straight guys and Purdue's off and running. You know, and, and uh, one of those head scratchers. And then Grant Watson, who's been so good for UCLA, uh, got knocked around after Griggs left the game. So, um, you know feels like I said it feels just a little bit fluky but at the same time Purdue is an experienced uh you know older team that uh, um you know can work some counts and can um and battle I mean they're not going to quit on you so you know I, I did get the sense watching the doubleheader on Saturday that these two teams they're pr- pretty similar I mean uh, as I thought coming into the year and, and, and Doug Shriver said it afterwards too he felt like his team and UCLA's team were pretty similar I mean they're both older teams a lot of veterans in the lineup uh, um good offensive clubs Pretty good defensive clubs, um, strike throwers in the rotation, not big arms. Neither of those teams have big arms in the rotation, but they have strike throwers. They're quality guys. And then, um, you know, decent bullpens. And um, on, on Saturday, UCLA got the timely hits. You know, the, the second game, they were out hit 10-4. to 4. They still won. Um, so, you know, that's a game that could have gone either way. So I certainly feel like Purdue wasn't outclassed out there. I mean, they were. I think they were very similar to, to the Bruins. And, and they put them on a neutral field. It could go either way. Aaron, in your mind, I mean, who's the top draft between those two clubs for this year? Is it Griggs, even though he melted down the other day? Is it Jeff? Uh, I'm, I always pronounce it Jelilich. Is that how you pronounce his last name? It is Jelilich. Jelilich. Yeah. Uh, is it Cameron Perkins or Kevin Plawecki, one of those uh, middle of the lineup jokers at Purdue? Uh, somebody I haven't mentioned. Who, in your mind, who's the top draft prospect on those two clubs? It's probably either. Uh, Plawecki or Jelilich. I think we have both of those two guys, if I'm not mistaken, um, as maybe second-round kind of guys for this draft. And I could see Jelilich as kind of a second- or a third-rounder. Um, I think we had Plawecki in that same range somewhere. So I, I, those two guys are close. I mean, for me, um, if Plawecki can catch and he's got a chance to, uh, then you probably give him the edge. I mean, he's a physical uh, um Strong right-handed hitter with uh, with some pop in there, and uh, you know it, it's it's not a standout arm or standout receiving, but it's it's adequate, I think. And um, you know, for Jelilich, he's he's going to be a corner guy at the next level. Um, he's got a you know he, he I think he hits with authority. I mean, I've seen him hit some balls really hard and far, 
but he's more of a line drive hitter. He is a plus runner right now, but he's not a center fielder. He's definitely a corner guy with kind of an average arm. So, you know, the profile is a little tricky, and I think maybe he could be, um, you know, not quite Trot Nixon, but in that mold a little bit if he can, um, you know, mature and grow into that power a little more because I think the power's in there. Um, but, uh, you know, I think he's that kind of a player. So I, I think both those guys are probably second, maybe third rounders. That's how it feels like. I think I think that's a good assessment of it. How good? I mean, I'm not saying from a draft prospect, but how good is this Blake Mascarello guy? Because it just seems like this guy he's he's got pretty loud numbers out of the Purdue bullpen. I mean, he leads their team in wins and an ERA, so um, that's pretty good. <laughs> he's given up four extra base hits all year, and he was really good again in an extended period. It seems like it's a pretty nice asset for Purdue to have in their bullpen to have a senior left-hander like that who can be a short guy, uh, but obviously they don't need him to be the short guy because they have Whitgrim, but they feel like a team between Breedlove and Haas, they have these two nice starters, they kind of need a third starter, and they have two guys you know they trust in the bullpen, and Whitgrim and Mascarello, they just they feel like a team, Aaron, that's built very well to be successful in regionals. I agree with you, I do, and, and you know Joe Hayes and, and, and uh, Lance Breedlove are both, again, they're pitchability guys, they're kind of like those Oregon guys, you know, um, mid mid 80s, maybe touch high 80s. Um, you know, mix and match, uh, good deception. I mean, nice three or four pitch mixes, and then um, and then Muscarello at the back is is again, he's kind of similar velocity wise. He's a, kind of a tall left-hander, lower slot guy. Uh, got some deception in there. He can mix in a kind of a slower slurvy breaking ball and change up. And um, you know, he's. Uh, Pretty effective against lefties and righties, it, it seemed to me, and uh, he, he pitched very well for four, I think four shutout innings on Saturday. So certainly a nice, uh, a nice piece. And, and you're right. I mean, I think you only need, you know, you, you need five or six guys theoretically. You can you can win a regional and in a super regional with five or six guys. And and I like Purdue's number three starter. He didn't have a great week this week, but Connor Podkol is is a freshman, probably got the best arm on their staff. Um, you know, an 89 to 92 guy, and uh, he's got a bright future, and he's pitched pretty well for them in general over the last uh, five or six weeks here. So, um, you know, they've got they've got a pretty good core group of pitchers, I think, that they trust. We're talking about college baseball here in the Baseball America podcast today with Aaron Fit. I'm John Manuel. Before we dive into the Southeastern Conference, we want to remind you that the Baseball America College podcast is sponsored by ATEC, the baseball training machine company. At ATEC, we're committed to delivering tools to coaches to help train and develop players. Visit ATECSports.com to learn about training machines that can help make your practice more effective and efficient. See training tips and practice drills from Vanderbilt head, Vanderbilt head coach Tim Corbin and more on ATECSports.com. ATEC win every practice. I have a feeling like I don't pronounce Vanderbilt properly when I do that read <laughs> most often. I think I just speed through it a little bit too much. But uh, let's go to speaking of Vanderbilt. Let's go to the SEC, Aaron. And lo and behold, uh, you know, two, three weeks left in the, in the season, and here are the Gamecocks in first place again. And uh, only two more regular season series left. And Ray Tanner <laughs> has this young Gamecocks team that stumbled and wobbled early when they got swept at Kentucky. That's their own, They have two series losses at Kentucky, home to Florida. They've won every series since then, Aaron. They're at Georgia next weekend after winning two out of three at Arkansas last weekend and uh, this past weekend and looming in the distance is this end of the regular season showdown with LSU, which is the other team at 16 and eight in the SEC. They're tied for first in the league. How delicious would that be uh, two weeks from now to have 
South Carolina, LSU, 8,000 fans plus at Carolina Stadium, SEC regular season title on the line. That's delicious. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good word for it. It's a tantalizing matchup. Um, you know, South Carolina, going to Arkansas and winning two out of three, to me, is, is awfully impressive. It's not an easy place to play. Fans were really into it, and they had to – they had to rally back from six runs down in the first game. Um, you know, this South Carolina team is playing with that swagger again, it's, it seems to me. You know, they they believe in themselves. Um, the offense has really come around. They're scoring runs. Um, you know, they. Uh, it's not, I think, maybe the dominant pitching staff that we thought it would be, but it's, uh, you know, they, they've got a lot of guys that they trust, certainly. And, and I mean, I, I don't know. I just think they're – They've got they've got the South Carolina mojo back, you know, and uh, it, the the series sweep at Kentucky seems like ages ago, doesn't it? It really does, Aaron. And uh, you know, I actually was talking with the esteemed columnist of the state, uh, Ron Morris, uh, during the week. I I'm not, I haven't seen if Ron wrote the column or not, but he posited that this is the most talented South Carolina team ever. He didn't say it was the best, but the most talented. Um, especially on the mound, and I had a hard time refuting that. Um, in terms of talent, this might be their most talented physical team. They're starting to get Adam Matthews going a little bit. We, we've talked about how much we like their freshman guys like English, Pancake, now Grace and Griner really starting to come on. Had a big couple of hits in that comeback on uh, Thursday or Friday, the opener of that series. Is this the most talented Gamecocks team you've seen? Uh, you know, put them in perspective of some of their past teams, just in terms of talent. I I don't know. I, I still kind of like the the Smoke Havens Darnell teams that never went to Omaha. That's, uh, a, great, that's pure, a great take. As far as pure talent goes, I mean, but uh, uh, this is a better team. There's no question. This is a better team than those teams. You know, and that's that's been South Carolina. I mean, uh, even last year. I mean, you, you know, you have Jackie Bradley Jr. as a supplemental first round guy on this team, and um, you know that that kind of elevates the talent level. As well, I mean, there's probably some of these some of these freshmen are probably going to be pretty good picks in a few years, but um, I don't sounds know. Like on the I, mound, I think it's the big separator. It, it sounds like this, the, the big separator is just the mound depth because they've just got maybe they don't have 14 guys throwing 90 like Mississippi State, but they've just got so many options. Aaron, their bullpen is so deep, and now they're starting to get Forrest Kumas going a little bit. Uh, just so that they have an embarrassment of riches down there in the in the in their bullpen. Where even though they don't have the one dominant guy like they had last year with Roth with an ERA at one, um, he, he's at 282 this year. So he's been human, and Matt Price has been kind of human as well. I wouldn't bet against Matt Price in the postseason. I wouldn't bet against Michael Roth, and they have lots of other options and answers in their in their pitching staff. Like you said, it's not dominant, but they've got way more than six guys. Yeah, that's a great point. It's in that respect, it's. Uh... It's much different than the last year when it was really, like we've talked about, it was Taylor and Ra- uh, Taylor and Price really in the bullpen. I mean, uh, those were the guys that they went to and, and the guys that they really trusted. And this year it does feel like they've got a lot more options, I agree. And they can mi- really mix and match. They've got a lot of guys from the right side and on the left side. Um, it's, a, it's, a good, it's a good bullpen, you know. And, and I think you could stack it right up there with any bullpen out there. I mean, I, I still like Rice's bullpen a lot, but South Carolina's got a lot more options from the left side than Rice does. So uh, if I had to pick one, maybe I'd take the Gamecocks. Aaron, I agree with you. I think that South Carolina just – South Carolina has a lot of options. They look very dangerous for the postseason again. LSU looking awfully dangerous for the postseason, Aaron. And just the you – know, 
I don't know if there's separation, but those four at top SEC teams, LSU, South Carolina, Florida, Kentucky, um, you know, their resumes are all pretty close to each other. But it feels like LSU kind of has been the more consistent team, at least in the league. It feels like in the league they have the best resume. And that, that series against App State, the better Appalachian State has played, uh, you know, the better that looks. Uh, really, LSU kind of has the one hiccup, it feels like, at Kentucky and then early at Auburn. But otherwise, they've been uh, – they've taken on all comers. I mean, uh, if you had to give an edge in terms of resume, LSU or South Carolina, who do you like there? Uh, I guess I like LSU. I do think they've, they've won uh, more series against teams that are really, really good. I um, mean, you talk about uh, sweeping Arkansas, going two games, winning two out of three. Um, two out of three at Ole Miss, I think, is, is, is pretty loud. It's not an easy thing to do. But, but, I mean, you know, then again, South Carolina finally got themselves, I think, a marquee series win this weekend, going to Arkansas and winning two out of three. I mean, I know Arkansas is ranked number 20 right now. They're not four like they were in the preseason, but I I still I still like that series a lot. I mean, I don't know. They, these two resumes are pretty similar. Honestly, I think Kentucky has is the team that is um you know, that stands out more than either of them as far as quality series wins. I mean Kentucky, um, you know, they took two out of three from L S U, they took they took two out of three at Arkansas, uh they took two or three from Ole Miss. I mean they've you know they swept took South, they swept Carolina. South Carolina. Yeah. So yeah, I mean I I mean, Kentucky now has lost two straight series, so their resume is kind of falling back to the pack a little bit. But um, all these teams, I completely agree. I think it's four, it's four teams fighting for three national seeds, and it's hard to separate them because they all have uh, have had very good seasons. I think it's going to be tough, Aaron. I mean, Kentucky's down an 11 uh, in the RPI. I feel like even though I don't think the committee wants to put four national top eight national seeds from the SEC, it's going to be hard to not do that. If Kentucky beats Alabama and wins a series against Alabama and Mississippi State the last two weekends of the season, uh, you know, like their RPI is behind Virginia, but they clearly have a better case than Virginia, a better resume than Virginia. Um, you know, North Carolina and Kentucky, that's a tough one. You know, UCLA versus Kentucky, I know UCLA is the number three RPI, but that's, that's a tough one because UCLA lost four twice as many series as Kentucky. I know they played a tougher schedule. Right. Uh, it's going to be hard, I think, to keep the SEC from having four top eight national seeds. I think I still have a feeling it'll wind up being three, but I do think there's four that you can make very compelling cases for, and, and, and I agree with you. I mean, I, I think Kentucky, as as the fourth team right now in the SEC, let's say, uh, I think they have a stronger case than North Carolina or, or even UCLA. Uh, despite the RPI, um, you know, so I, I think right now if I had to pick eight national seeds and, and I, you know, was was not just going to use the RPI as a crutch, I think I would be comfortable with four SEC teams in that mix. Um, but I still know that that's going to happen. I have a feeling it'll still wind up being three. That's going to be a tough call. I, that's going to be a really tough call. I don't envy the uh, committee on that one. Um, just on the rest of the league, real quick, Aaron, Vanderbilt is 46. Seven in the RPI right now. Mississippi State's at 41. Uh, feels like that's a bubble team that should be in. Georgia's at 39. Feels like bubble, but in. Um, yeah. Vanderbilt feels like it's kind of right now. It's out because they're under 500. Uh, we're still looking at eight teams, nine teams for the SEC. It feels like right now there's only eight. You know, because Auburn's down at 64. Yeah. Uh, and the RPI doesn't feel like Auburn's going to get in with an RPI down there. What's your 
you know, from a stock report standpoint, who, who do you like as that ninth SEC club? Well, right now I think you're looking at Vanderbilt. If they can they can finish above 500, that's your best shot for ninth team. I, I think we had thought it was Auburn. Uh, Auburn has been so up and down. And, you know, last week we had them in after they swept Tennessee. The previous week I think we had them out after they were swept by South Carolina. Previous week we had them in after they – um, well, I guess it was two weeks before that. I don't know. I mean, it's it's just, but but they've lost now. Uh, series they were swept at Georgia, swept by South Carolina. They lost two out of three at Vanderbilt. They were swept at Alabama, I believe. So, I mean, this has been a, a rough second half. Auburn, I think you can you can dismiss at this point. So it all comes down to whether Vanderbilt can um, can finish strong, and it's you know it's challenging. They're at LSU this weekend, and then they got Ole Miss at home. Right. If they win those series, they finish above 500. They got a real chance. I think, I think if they win those two series, they're in for sure. And I think the big development for them yesterday was they finally got some production in the league from our Vanderbilt cheese ball, if you want to call him that, which would be Sam Selman. I mean, we have been all about Sam Selman, you and me, from a draft standpoint for a couple of years. And he finally goes out there. And it's a nice matchup in terms of uh, draft, rele- draft t- arms in Tennessee. It's a down year in the draft in Tennessee, but – uh, after Dalton Saberhagen and Kevin Zomek, you know, TFCO their way out of that game by the fourth inning. That's thanks for coming out and old Will Kimmy parlance here we like to use. Um, but Drew Steckenrider, who's 94 to 96 when he's at his best, and Sam Selman on the mound, kind of deciding that game. And Selman, who pitched four and a third innings all year in Southeastern Conference play, goes four and two thirds on Sunday, only gives up one run, generally through strikes. You know, and uh, and gets the win. That's pretty crucial for Vanderbilt, I think, to get another power left-hander into a weekend series like that. That was one of the reasons we had them ranked so high in the preseason was guys like Zomek, Selman, Beatty, Verhagen. You know, depth of power arms, Kleiner in the bullpen. They're still not there yet, Aaron, but it feels like Vanderbilt's getting closer to what. Uh, we thought they would be so just kind of a uh, interesting development there um, let's 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 look at the math real quickly here uh i don't think they're going to win the series at lsu so I let's agree. say that they don't get swept let's say they don't get swept and let's say they take two or three against Ole Miss at home i think that's really your your realistic scenario best case three yeah, and three down the three stretch three and three yep they would then have to you know i think they'd have to win the louisville game midweek so that would make a four and three finish i put them right at 500 they would then need to win um, they need to go like three, three and two in, in the in the SEC tournament, like like uh, Georgia did right. last year. Exactly. And you know what? It's a tall order, and and I don't see it happening. So I think we're probably gonna have Vanderbilt outside uh, on this week's stock report, but we'll I, see. I think no, I think you're right. I think they have to. To me, they have to win both those series, or they have to sweep Ole Miss and not get swept at LSU. And that's tough. I think more likely is they win they, they, for them. The, their most likely path is they win the Louisville game, which is not easy. Louisville's 22nd in our ranking. They don't get swept at LSU. They they manage a game there, and then they're going to have to sweep Ole Miss, and then kind of like I said, go two and two or three and two, uh, you know, in the league tournament. They're going to have to do better than what you would expect them to do, based on what they've been this year. And to me, the only way that happens is Sam Selman. Kevin Zomek, Tyler Beatty, Verhagen, these guys pitched the way we thought they could pitch coming into the year. But I, I agree with you. It's a tall order. Um, I don't have great confidence in them achieving that tall order. Um, real quick, Aaron, to the ACC, 
We've talked a little bit about Clemson. We, we finally have a little delineation in the ACC right now. Florida State has del- you know separated themselves from the pack for a long time. Speaking of the pack, NC State's won nine straight games. Uh, it hasn't been against the greatest competition, but it's like Charlotte, Duke, Cal State, Bakersfield this weekend. But nine straight wins is nine straight wins. North Carolina gets Colin Moran back. They sweep Boston College. You know, Virginia's won seven straight games. There's your top five in the ACC with Clemson as that fifth team, I guess. Miami and Florida, six. So there's six regional teams. Uh, Seven, eight regional teams from from this league. I mean, Maryland seems like it's played its way out. Uh, Where where do you think the ACC stands? Ah, this is one of the this is one of the tough tough ones because you've got a bunch of teams after that first group of six uh, in the mix, and, and Maryland has played its way out. You can you know just take a fork in them, despite their you know they for a while they had a bunch of wins against top twenty five. They're propping them up, or, but but they're eight and eighteen in the league now. Forget it. Just feel um, like they, maybe they know. maybe they win the finale of the Florida State series tonight, and then they they'd have to sweep Virginia. If they can win their last four games at twelve and eighteen, it just still feels like that's just not enough. Yeah, it would be it would be tight. I mean, I don't I don't think so. It, it's possible, I suppose. There's teams that have gotten in with that kind of conference record before. I mean, nine and seventeen in the Big Twelve comes to mind. <laughs> Oklahoma State, but that's never going to um, go away. So it's possible. Yeah, no. it, it, it's um, possible. It's highly improbable. It's, it's a much less probable than Vanderbilt, where Eric Backett used to work. Yeah, you're right. Um, I think uh, I think Virginia Tech is is still kind of hanging around in the mix, and Georgia Tech I, I still think will wind up finding its way in. But you know those two teams are both ten and fourteen in the league right now. I think they're tied for the last two spots in the yep. conference tournament. Uh, what a game ahead of Wake Forest. So you know how these teams finish. I mean I think um, if you miss the ACC tournament, I don't see you getting in this year. I mean it's it's I suppose it's possible. I mean there've been some times in stock report where I've had to put nine ACC teams in didn't feel great about it but it's just hard to get to 64 um i don't know i mean i think yeah i think you really need to be in the in the conference tournament i think wake has has stumbled now and uh you know they're you know they uh, were swept at boston college last weekend that was a killer that was just a really tough loss for for wake forest that 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 might have dealt their their hopes a crippling blow so um if virginia tech can can finish strong now i mean they've got nc state at home and they're at unc uh, go three and three in those games. They're probably in thirteen and seventeen. Feels like if anything's gonna deal your your hopes a crippling blow, it would be a series sweep at BC. This is not uh, this is not your Tony Sanchez, Mike Belfiore BC team. It's a good, it's a scrappy bunch, but not an overly talented bunch. Aaron, uh, last uh, part of the podcast. Let's just talk about some of these teams that came in uh, to the to the pod, uh, into the rankings this weekend. Uh, Louisville's been there, but I don't feel like we've talked much about the Big East, with good reason. It just hasn't been a great Big East year. But uh, St. John's still leading the league, uh, defensively challenged UConn, <laughs> sitting there tied with Louisville. Uh, we got a chance to get two Big East teams this year. Uh, the St. John's, uh, how where are they yeah. in the uh, in the, in the uh, picture for if they don't win the Big East? They've got a chance. I mean, it's uh, they're 59 now in the RPI. Um, you know, they they've they don't have a lot of quality wins, but they didn't last year either. Right now, they're 0-3 against the top 50, so that sticks out. But last year, I think they only had a couple of wins against the top 50. I think they might have had two, uh, and they got in with an RPI in the 50s. So, I think if they win the Big East, and they didn't even win the Big East regular season last year. I mean, right. it's, 
Um, they, you know, they got a lot of things going for them last year that really, it's, it's kind of, in retrospect, it's pretty surprising that they got in, especially over LSU. But no we don't want to open that can of worms again. No doubt. Uh, the, the, the point is, if they, if they win the Big East regular season, um, I think they could still get in with an RPI in the 50s if they don't win the automatic bid. Um, it's possible, but you know they they're going to need to finish strong this weekend. It's huge. I think if if St. John's wins this weekend series against Louisville, all of a sudden they've got a real chance, and the Big East could send two teams to regionals. And and I guess I suppose if somebody else won the tournament, you could envision three teams getting in. But uh, that seems a little like a, like a stretch to me. So uh, this St. John's team was a team we liked coming into the year. You know, we uh, we had them just outside the top 25 in the preseason, if I'm, right. if I'm not mistaken, John. They no, were in we the did. discussion. I that. And, uh, you know, it's taken a little while for them to get going, but they've really been good in conference play. And all of a sudden, they're, they got 31 wins, and, uh, you know, it's coming together for them. I mean, they've got some power arms. Um, you know, we've talked before about Kyle Hansen and Matt Karasiti and, um, you know, the veterans in the lineup, Jeremy Baltz, of course, and Matt Wessinger. I mean, good players, veteran guys. Uh, I think they're dangerous. I think they're pretty good. It's kind of amazing when you just brush past what the SEC, what the Big East teams have actually done. Um, it's just it, there's some ugly defensive numbers in this league. I mean, St. John's isn't like it's an overly athletic or great defensive team. UConn, which yeah. was very athletic last year, has been pretty poor defensively this year. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, is that kind of the between the power arms and the defense slash athleticism, is that kind of a, a separating factor for Louisville? Yeah, I think it is. And, you know, you, you talk about St. John's defense. I think the biggest question mark in the year for St. John's, and one of the reasons we didn't rank them in the preseason, was they didn't know who was going to be their shortstop. And, they, you know, they had a tough, tough – they had tough shoes to fill. They had to replace their first-round shortstop in Joe Panic, And right. they wound up having to move Matt Westinger over there, and then he's got – 17 errors. You know, he's more, more of a second baseman. He's not really a shortstop. So that's that's a bit of an Achilles heel for them. Um, and uh, I agree with you. I do think that's why Louisville stands out a little bit is the athleticism, the depth on the mound. I mean, I still really like that Louisville pitching staff, all those arms that they've got. Um, they are fielding better than these other teams. I mean, it, 965 doesn't, doesn't blow you away, but it, it's better than 959, like, like uh, I think St. John's is fielding. So... Um, you know, it's uh, I, I ultimately I think Louisville is the best team in this conference, but uh, this weekend will will determine a lot, I think. Yeah, it feels like Louisville's offense has even got a little bit more ways to beat you. Is Adam Engel, uh, my my Louisville personal cheese ball, is he healthy? Is he back in that lineup, or is he still out? Um, I think he's still know, out. I actually, I'm not sure about that. I think he's still out, but that was uh, that, that's one of the reasons. Yeah, he is still out. That's one of the reasons why we love doing our summer college uh, top tens. Uh, kind of gives you an eye into the next college season. And uh, Adam Engel really stood out to me last year at the Coastal Plain League All-Star game uh, with his speed and being fast in the physical package. And he's only got four extra base hits. But guy, Louisville's still kind of chugging along there without their, you know, this igniter who's 28 for 29 stealing bases. I mean, we yeah. talked a lot about Trey Turner at NC State and his uh, offensive efficiency, what he means to that team uh, with his speed. But I, Adam Engel's kind of analogous. At Louisville, so it's going to be a, definitely a series to watch. UConn and not UConn, Louisville and uh, St. John's coming up in the Big East, and then finally, Aaron uh, TCU back in the rankings this week at 24. The five-team Mountain West uh, still kind of has this uh, year or two where they still have this extra the, the, the automatic bid. Obviously, they need to add another team to this mix, but TCU splits their uh, six games during the regular season with with New Mexico. They win the series this weekend. 
TCU still, I guess Aaron is just never going to be the offensive club that we thought they'd be. But uh, Jim Schlossnagel and that staff, they, Randy Mazie, the assistant coach, they, they've found things, uh, they've found a way in Fort Worth to, to get that team on track. They have. And uh, like you said, I mean, it's not a, it hasn't so far been, I mean, hell, we rank this team, I think, I think I think. I think I a 70 offense and 70 power in the preseason. Boy, that looks bad. But, um, you know, they, ha- they are getting healthier. They are getting better offensively. Um, they're, they're, just, they're just not going to be world beaters offensively. But, and, and, you know, they've, they've gotten really good pitching, but it's not last year's pitching staff or, or two years ago when they, you know, when they had a, an Omaha team. I mean, it's not Perk, Winkler, and Maxwell. Um, you know, I, I think Andrew Mitchell is really good, and um, you know Crichton and Tico and these guys, and, and Preston Morrison and Finney. I mean, they got a pretty deep pitching staff actually, uh, but uh, but it's not the shutdown guys. So um, you know, I don't think this is a TCU team that's necessarily going to make a deep postseason run unless that offense can can all of a sudden really get hot. I mean, um, what are they hitting 250 something as a team? I mean, they just haven't gotten it done yet. It's brutal um, but, because like, you know, Kevin like Crone, Rivera, Aaron was a was an offensive big factor the last couple of years this guy's hitting 217 with four extra base hits this year yeah i mean it, it's just been it, it's just one after another i mean keaton jones in their everyday lineup the guy's got a 197 slugging percentage i mean don't, don't hate on the laguna beach guy johnny come on are you kidding he's a laguna guy keaton jones Ke- keaton jones was the, the star for the uh, laguna beach high school uh uh team last year that, that won the won the first championship in this in their conference in a long time last year, but he's to the fact that he's playing everyday shortstop for TCU hitting 162 is probably not a great sign. He, that's the first title in 48 years, Aaron. By the way, um, there you go. Thank so there you. is that. Um, they, look, they've got Kevin Crone in the lineup. Jansen Witte's back. Their offense is a little bit better, but man, that's just a pretty underwhelming. That's like Oregon-like numbers when you're looking at their offense. I mean, it's just yeah, it's NG, man. It's really NG. So. We'll see what happens, TCU. They didn't inspire confidence uh, for me, but back at the top 25 area, and there's just a real muddle. Uh, While there's not a team, uh, I think we could wrap the podcast with this, while every team has flaws, uh, the teams I would say through like number 19, 18, where USD is, uh, the teams after that have more flaws, a lot more flaws than the first 16, 17 teams this year. I still think... You can go to 20. I mean, honestly, you know, this is this is kind of funny, but, I mean, I still kind of believe in Arkansas's ability to make a late run. I still kind of think that Louisville could make a run with its pitching. Uh, Oregon State's pitching is exciting, and, you know, it's young, but it's come together. I mean, you talk about Jace Fry with a complete game this week against Stanford and, and Dan Child and Ben Wetzler, three really good Bull, uh, weekend rotation pieces. They've got nice arms in the bullpen. Uh, they, those freshmen have beefed up the offense. I mean, I, I still think Oregon State is dangerous. So, um, you know, those teams to me, I, I'll go, I'll go all the way to 23 in our rankings. And I'll, and there's a couple of teams outside the rankings I like. I think Ole Miss uh, still could be a factor in the postseason. Uh, but the, the, the part of the reason that I think these teams could be factors is because I just don't think there's. Um, you know, there's teams that, that really excite me that much higher in the rankings. I mean, we've talked about this before. I don't think there's a lot of really complete, flawless teams out there. I, I think I've come around on Florida State and Baylor um, as, as pretty, you know, I mean, the teams at the top have, have earned their, their spot at the top. And Florida State, at this point, you have to believe in their pitching. Um, that was the question mark, the lingering question mark with them. Um, even though they had performed, I was 
I was kind of reserving judgment, but you know what? Those guys just keep on doing it. Uh, You've got to give them the benefit of the doubt. But um, it's, it's a fun year in college baseball because I think there's, there are a lot of teams that could be factors, and, and it's going to be hard to, to pick their bracket this year. I think it's, I, I agree with you. The postseason has all kinds of upside potential. Uh, it could be very topsy-turvy. And in a couple of weeks, I promise, we will give you a lot of Big West talk when, when Riverside – not when Riverside, when uh, Fulton's getting ready to play Long Beach State. But in, until something interesting happens in that league, we keep not talking about that league in the, in the podcast because there's just more interesting leagues. But uh, great stuff, Aaron, as always. You, where are you headed this weekend? I don't know yet. I have to look at the schedule. It's uh, this time of year. You know, we're all so deep in our draft bunkers that we'll uh, we'll have to have to pop my head out later in the week and take a look at the schedule. That musty smell that you get when you download this podcast is me and Aaron coming out of the draft <laughs> bunker to, to podcast. Uh, but uh, anyway, thanks for the thanks for your time, Aaron. And we want to remind everybody that this Baseball America College podcast is sponsored by ATEC, the baseball training machine company. At ATEC, we're committed to delivering tools to coaches to help train and develop players. Visit ATechSports.com to learn about training machines that can help make your practice more effective and efficient. See training tips and practice drills from Vanderbilt head coach Tim Corbett and more on ATechSports.com. ATech win every practice. For Aaron Fit, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you next time on the Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois.